I see they're clowning Tony Romo on Twitter right now. And I'll be honest, I kind of just feel bad for him. I feel like making Tony Romo commentate Cowboys games when they're this bad right now would be like pulling up a video of your ex on PH and being forced to watch, you know, watch her get taken down by someone else. Except in Romo's case, you're not just getting cucked, you're getting cucked and having to rattle off amusing quips and stories about it for three hours in front of millions of people across the U.S. <laughs> but I mean, he was enjoying it though today. He he was happy that the Cowboys were winning. So how does that fit into the equation of watching (laughs) aren't cucks always happy (laughs) yeah i mean maybe but you know he was enjoying the cowboys winning they were beating the steelers uh pretty much the entire game he was definitely enjoying it talking about amari cooper's juicy ass on the timeline i mean what is going on on twitter right now I, I agree too. And it's it's almost a travesty because not only should he not be like doing the Cowboys games because it's so emotional for him, but also because, you know, him and Nance are the best commentating duo in the league and they're wasting him on a trash team and, in, you know, a boring game because it's going to get the ratings because Dallas is such a beloved team. But nobody's trying to watch that right now. Put Tony on a good game. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Steelers, Cowboys, probably the two biggest fan bases in the NFL besides like the Patriots. So I could see why they would obviously have that game on CBS and have Tony Romo commentate it. You know, good drama there. I think they should they should get Tony Romo out the booth and have him come play quarterback. That's what they should do. <laughs> you weren't impressed by <laughs> Garrett Gilbert's performance no shot. today? That, that boy needs to go back to the XFL in 2021. Was he in the XFL or are you bugging out? He was in the XFL. I thought he was in the AAF. Well, same shit. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 104 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap all of the action from week nine in the NFL from a DFS perspective. We will review the most popular cash game plays and the decision points you had to make around them. Our results, we'll talk about what you had to do to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week, and of course, we'll close out the show with some of the most interesting stats of the week, but before we get into any of that, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? As always, you can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, that's where we tweet out all links to our content. We tweet out links to the podcast, links to our YouTube videos that we post on the DFS Dose YouTube channel. So make sure you're following us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything that we put out. And then make sure you are subscribed or followed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, you know, whatever podcast site you use, just make sure you are subscribed. It's right down below right below the podcast name and then as i mentioned you can subscribe to us on our youtube channel at the dfs dose currently at 110 subscribers so we finally got over that 100 subscriber mark shout out to us shout out to everybody that has helped us get there uh growing every day we post videos clips and much more so make sure you're subscribed to the dfs dose youtube channel just hit 100 right 110 let's go making moves love to see it let's get in to 
the show, and we're going to start off by reviewing the most popular high-owned cash game plays, and then we will talk about our results and how we did on the week. And uh, starting off with the high-owned plays, these ownerships come from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings. And at the running back position, I think this week, as most weeks are expected, you know, projections make these things pretty easy to see ahead of time. Dalvin Cook, unsurprisingly, the highest owned running back at 55.9%. Justin Jackson came in behind him, a huge dud for everybody, 49.1%. Chase Edmonds, number three at 42.4%. Some other running backs that got mixed in included James Conner and DJ Dallas, who were between 18 and 22% respectively. At wide receiver, the ownership really consolidated around two guys, mainly Julio Jones, the highest owned at 53.9%, Tyler Lockett behind him at 44, with guys like Marvin Jones and Jerry Judy in that 18 to 23% range. Highest owned quarterback, Josh Allen at 27.4, and tight end was Noah Fant at 23.2%, with Hayden Hurst drawing quite a bit of ownership as well at 18.2%. The cash line in the $25 single entry double up on DraftKings was 136.10, similar across all other price points as well. How did you do on the week? Yeah, so had another solid week. My cash lineup ended up scoring 159 points, which was good to win 100% of my double ups. Ended up going 71-4 and in my 75 head-to-heads that I play every week. So a very good day in terms of cash. In tournaments, not so good. Did not cash in any single tournament, not even a min cash. So O of 8 in terms of my tournament lineup. So it was a tough week in the GPP streets, but a great week in the cash streets. I'll take it on a on a week where I literally just missed completely in tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty similar week, smashed in cash, pretty big dud in tournaments. Uh, My cash line put up 162.6, good for a 97% win rate. And I'm gonna just say it, I mean, you're capping hard body right now. Because you didn't win 100% of your head-to-heads. You lost at least one. I said 100% double ups. Se- oh. 71 and 4 in oh. 75 head-to-heads. Because I know one of them you lost for sure. Because every time I see you in the lobby, I'm scooping it. Got to get that soft action where I can. <laughs> yeah, soft action. Got it. <laughs> yeah, but... um. In terms of decision points this week, I think that there was one major decision point that you had to make and everybody had to make it. And it was which of the high priced wide receivers did you want to play? You know, how are you going to sort through these guys? Because they were all projecting similarly and they were all in pretty good spots. I think you could make the argument and Keenan Allen, 7K, Tyler Lockett, 6,800, Julio, 7,200, Stefan Diggs at 7,400, who wasn't necessarily in that tier for a lot of people, but he was for me. And I think he actually ended up coming in higher owned in cash games than Keenan Allen did, perhaps due to Keenan Allen being questionable all the way up until Sunday morning. So I think that balanced it out. But, you know, how did you personally sort between these guys? It was a really tough call for me. I ended up going, you know, in the wrong direction personally. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know. How'd you do it? Yeah, so I ended up running Tyler Lockett, and I know you ran him as well. Yeah. Ended up busting, getting eight points in you know one of the best game scripts that the Seahawks wide receivers will see all season. Down by what twenty plus to the Bills at home. Uh, apparently, the, this slot funnel in Buffalo didn't work out today. Apparently, but just in terms of how I got to Tyler Lockett. 
For me specifically, I liked him less than, you know, Julio, Keenan, and Diggs. It was just at 6,800 for Tyler Lockett. He fit my build perfect. So I ended up using all 50,000 of my salary, had zero dollars remaining, and that was why I ran him, to be honest. Like, like that, that's just me being brutally real. He just fit my build in terms of salary and I was fine with playing him. I thought his target projection was not as high as those guys above him, but I thought it was good enough for cash and I thought he was in a good spot. Obviously, I'm one of the best offenses in the NFL, so I was fine with playing him just because, like I said, he fit my build perfectly, although I wanted Keenan and Julio over Tyler Lockett. The process was similar for me. I think he was pretty clear cut the lowest in this group of four, in my opinion, because for the simple fact that, you know, Keenan Allen, Julio Jones with Calvin Ridley out and Stefan Diggs every single week are going to be the clear cut alphas in their respective offenses. That's simply not Tyler Lockett. I, I like him. He's a great wide receiver, but DK Metcalf is the guy there. And even if they are 1A, 1B, you know, there's still that 50-50 shot that it could be a Metcalf game. And it was a Metcalf game, right? Even Mm -hmm. being covered by Trey White, even with this alleged slot funnel, you know, DK Metcalf got more targets. He had bigger plays, had more yards, everything. And and that's a legit possibility with Tyler Lockett every single week. Yeah, and I mean... We're, we were on it. You said DK Metcalf is a top five wide receiver in the NFL. It's hard to disagree with that at that point. I said that, you know, I'm not too worried about cornerback matchups when it comes to this freak of nature in DK Metcalf. So I wasn't too worried about this uh, potential matchup with Trey White. And there was nothing to worry about as he burned him pretty much the entire game. Could have had a bigger game as he dropped a deep pass, but still had a very good game against Trey White. And, you know, I I think DK Metcalf is the clear-cut alpha in Seattle. I do agree that Tyler Lockett is a good wide receiver, but I think he, I think Tyler Lockett gets hyped up so much by DFS touts that his ownership is inflated on a weekly basis. And obviously, like I said, they're, they're one of the best offenses in the NFL, which boosts his ownership as well. But DK Metcalf is the guy there, and we just have to know that moving forward. And one other thing, you know, I also chose Lockett for the same reason as you. You know, the salary was tight this week. It really was, especially the later in the week we got and the more sure of certain plays that I got that I wanted to fit in. Salary became tough, and, you know, I made it pretty clear on the cash pool video on our YouTube channel, on the article on our website, if you read it, that Diggs was the guy that I wanted to fit here. I just couldn't get it. I just didn't have the 600 to do it. So I took Lockett, and one other part of the decision that you didn't really mention, I think, is that I preferred the correlation in my lineup with Lockett. I was playing Josh Allen at quarterback. I had John Brown in there, who I thought was going to be relatively popular. He only came in at like 5% owned in cash games, but just, you know, when I'm thinking about it, it's like I've already got Justin Jackson in the lineup. I've already got Hayden Hurst in the lineup. So I have exposure to those two offenses. I have no exposure to Seattle, arguably one of the best offenses in the NFL, if not the best offense in the NFL in the highest total game of the week. It fits. And I understand that you don't need to stack or, you know, do bringbacks as, you know, an optimal strategy in your cash lineups, but I don't think that it necessarily hurts you unless the entire game busts. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see that happening in this spot. So I think Lockett made some sense. I was willing to swallow it and Lockett ended up being like the worst play in my lineup, except I guess for Justin Jackson, but nothing you can do about that. And we'll get to that in Mm -hmm. a minute here. But the second decision point after you decided which high priced wide receiver you were going to play was whether or not you were just going to stop at one. You know, some people 
sharps in the DFS industry included opted to pay down at key spots so that they could jam two of these guys. You know, they would punt at tight end down to Irv Smith or punt at wide receiver three to the min price and get like Marcus Johnson in there. Just a super, super razor thin play. Drew Locke in favor of Josh Allen who got there. But if we're talking pre-lock process, I think was just a, a horrific play. And I think that the overall balanced build going with players like Hurst, Judy, one of John Brown or Deontay Johnson in your wide receiver instead of pure punting and then playing one of those guys was a much better build. I think it was the clear correct build this week. How do you feel about this? And how do you feel about, you know, the other construction than the one that you and I landed on, the one with two high-priced wide receivers? Yeah, so just in terms of the the build first the balance build has won in cash games for most of 2020 so just making sure that you know you get solid target projections out of all of your wide receivers not making super thin plays like marcus johnson or christian blake this week denzel mims last denzel, week yep denzel mims so as we can see that there's been a trend in 2020 towards the balance builds being the best builds on a weekly basis and like i just mentioned i wasn't comfortable playing a guy like Marcus Johnson, Christian Blake this week in cash, like absolutely no shot. They weren't in cash consideration for me. I feel like their floors were extremely low. And I thought playing two mid-range wide receivers, two of the guys that you mentioned with decent target projections like Jerry Judy, John Brown, Deontay Johnson, all in great matchups was better from a process standpoint. And I ended up landing on Jerry Judy and Deontay Johnson this week in my cash lineup. I, I know you just said you landed on John Brown. So that is the way that we went. And I feel like that was the correct way to go, especially when we can project Judy to see roughly what six to eight targets. Deontay Johnson, we know that he gets targets if he plays a full game. And then John Brown in the nut game script in the nut matchup this week against Seattle. Uh, we could project for him to see elevated targets as well. So from a process standpoint, from a lineup construction standpoint, I felt like punting down to those thin players was the bad move and bad from a process standpoint and we see it and we know this it's like dfs 101 is that wide receiver is sketchier as chalk because it's just you know anything could happen the targets could go to olamide zacchaeus instead of julio jones like you know that could happen it doesn't make sense but it could happen in any given week Whereas, you know, Alexander Madison isn't going to out-touch Dalvin Cook without injury. And that's why running backs are safe and wide receivers are shaky and why it's always, you know, in my opinion, better to get away from wide receiver chalk than it is Mm -hmm. to get away from running back chalk. Which brings me to the running backs this week. I mean, I played the three chalky guys. I'm pretty sure you played the three chalky guys Mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, it was Cook, Edmonds, and Justin Jackson. Let's talk about each of them individually, starting off with Dalvin Cook, who... I mean, this man is fully entering God mode, like 500 yards over the last two weeks, six touchdowns. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, Delvin Cook has snapped in back-to-back weeks, put up 200 yards on your Lions for two touchdowns, got over 250 total yards, 42 points, was an absolute lock in terms of cash games at 8,200. I don't think that we were getting off him throughout the entire week. I know some people you know, threw out the idea of maybe getting off cooking cash games that was not us Uh, we were on it 100% and it's starting to look like the Lions like you just play whatever running back is playing the Lions because they cannot stop opposing running backs at all no they can't I mean they can't stop anybody (laughs) yeah 
it, it, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Them and the Packers right now are pretty clearly above the rest in terms of what they're allowing to running backs. They're clear funnels, and the Lions' offense is just lifeless. I think the biggest knock, in my opinion, to Dalvin Cook was that they wouldn't be able to keep it competitive, and that turned out to be extremely true. Even with Stafford there, with Galladay out, the offense wasn't the same. Didn't stop Dalvin Cook, who really salted you know his production and the game with a seventy-yard touchdown. And you know they were running Alexander Madison, and you know they got Amir Abdullah in there for a nice revenge touchdown against the Lions as well, but it didn't matter because Dalvin Cook had already done his damage and he's dropped 90 fantasy points over the last two weeks, so... Yeah. What what more is there to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Delvin Cook has been absolutely incredible. And then if you just take a look at, you know, his four or five last matchups, he has four games with twenty nine or more points in in four out of his last five games. So he's been one of the best fantasy running backs this season and he was getting drafted, you know, behind some some scrubs, to be honest, uh in redraft and in best ball. Mm-hmm. So and over his next four weeks gets matchups with Dallas, Carolina, and Jacksonville. If you have him in season long, you are sitting pretty. One of the other highest owned running backs this week was Justin Jackson. And I mean, this is the definition of a tough scene. <laughs> Nothing you can do when the man gets injured on the first play of the game, then proceeds to be outtouched by Kalen Bellage for 15 rush attempts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look up the definition of tough scene in the dictionary it's justin jackson in week nine uh put up a solid zero points got hurt on the first play of the game took a helmet to the knee and you know he ended up coming back in the game and he played exactly one snap in each Mm. of the remaining quarters he played one snap in the second and so on so they opted just to go with kalen balaj after justin jackson got hurt and you know there's not much that we could do from a process standpoint felt like it was the correct play i felt like justin jackson at four 4900 was too cheap for his workhorse role in LA especially when they have no faith in Joshua Kelly and Tremaine Pope was ruled out for this matchup so he was in a great spot just unfortunate injury and it didn't bury us because he was 50% owned so at least that zero didn't you know really affect us too much yeah I know some people were super tilted uh, thankfully I was already yeah. well into the cash by that point I mean we were I'm vibing. not gonna lie though Joey I didn't know that Kalen Bellage was on the chart me either I didn't know until he took that that first touch I, I said what <laughs> yep didn't didn't know they picked him up <laughs> elevated him off the practice squad for this game comes in gets 15 attempts gets a touchdown and look the best he's ever looked yeah. <laughs> yep um just an absolute tough scene what's joshua kelly gotta do to get some touches <laughs> god damn uh they just they just hate joshua kelly for some reason but i've seen reports like on twitter where they say that joshua kelly has lost confidence and you know he's also had fumbling issues this year so i think that plays a part into his minimal role on the chargers now and justin jackson i feel like he would have ate had he not got hurt it was a great spot for him uh just nothing you could do let's talk about another player who was in a great spot and you know disappointing he didn't quite drop a zero in the lineup but he didn't you know smash either which is surprising because he got the workload chase Edmonds for the cardinals stepping into the full workhorse role that Kenyon drake had previously occupied and you know he lived up to the hype at least in terms of his workload just not the production he had 28 touches in this game it was the second time in his nfl career to touch the ball 
20 times or more. The last time he did it, he put up 38 DraftKings points. This time, only 11. So I don't I don't really know. I mean, the Cardinals put up over 30 points on offense, but Chase just didn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, from a process standpoint, I felt like Chase Edmonds was the second best play on the board behind Delvin Cook. We knew what role he was going to have in this Cardinals offense with Kenyon Drake out uh, for the foreseeable future. We knew he was going to have a role in the passing game and he was going to assume Kenyon Drake's attempts on the ground, which obviously happened. Like you said, 28 touches in total. It just hurts when Kyler Murray is, you know, the Cardinals goal line running back and the Cardinals red zone running back, which takes rushing touchdowns away from the Cardinals running backs so that's a tough scene for Chase Edmonds he also was very inefficient on the ground only averaging 2.8 yards per carry so he couldn't really get anything going it was uh, an early Christmas for Chase Edmonds with a nice huge snowflake next to his name so shout out to Chase Edmonds for busting I played him everywhere in tournaments and he puts up a solid 11 points that's just how it goes sometimes Mm. you know sometimes the results just don't work out. The process is there, but can't get the favorable results every single time. Yeah, I mean, if he had 11 points and he had gotten like mixed in and like, you know, Benjamin had taken, you know, 15 attempts, I would have felt bad about the process, but he had 28 touches. I don't feel bad about sticking him in there. We were on the right path. He just didn't get there. And I just want to mention something that I did this week in regards to Chase Edmonds, and that was pivoting off of James Conner, which was somebody that I really liked in cash. He was a priority for me. I wanted to play him in a game that he was favored by, you know, 14 and a half points against the Dallas team that's been bleeding points to running backs lately over Chase Edmonds. I was fully prepared to play James Conner over Chase Edmonds, but when I was in position going into the late games, I had a sizable lead on the field in terms of double ups, in terms of my cash games, and the thought was, well, Chase Edmonds is going to be higher owned, so I can plug in Chase Edmonds here and you know secure the block essentially because people aren't going to be able to pass me when I have Justin Jackson and Chase Edmonds two of the chalkiest running backs on the slate whereas if James Conner busts at half the ownership of Chase and Chase goes off well it doesn't matter if you know the possibility of Conner going off you know helps cuz I'm already in the lead so you know sometimes i guess you can just use pivoting as a way to secure wins when you're up top opposed to a desperate attempt to make up ground when you're coming from behind and i guess that's just a different way to use late swap not what you traditionally think of but i just wanted to bring that up as sort of like a general strategy note yep that is the beauty of late swap uh you just secured yourself an easy win didn't really have to worry about connor busting especially when you know admins is going to be uh super chalky and it was the correct move so i'm glad you did that and you know secured yourself a, a w Oh, thank you. Let's move on to recapping the million dollar lineup. Mm. What did it take to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week? Yeah, I mean this 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 lineup is cheeks, Joey. Pure cheeks. Drew Locke to Jerry Judy. All right, solid. We got we got a stack going off. Low owned and cheap. Okay, I could get on board with that. Let's see who he brought it back with. Nobody. Whoa, what? No Julio, no Hayden Hurst, no Olamide Zacchaeus, nobody. Okay. Nobody. All right, that's interesting. So no bring back. Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. Okay. All right, that's fine. I like that. That's good. Keenan Allen. Okay. We're good. Terry McLaurin correlated with the Giants defense. <laughs> mm, 
<laughs> questionable. Janu Smith at tight end. I mean, that's a complete one-off, no correlation. The no correlation is a little dicey. I'm not mad at, you know, playing whoever at tight end. That's fine. Gabe Davis in the flex. He played his lowest priced wide receiver from the early games in the flex instead of Keenan Allen, you know, the high priced guy in the late slate. That was a little confusing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what is your thought about this? million dollar lineup put up what like 238 points or so it was around 236 238 somewhere around there either way one a million dollars and the lineup was pure trash i mean (laughs) it's 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 hard to say that about a lineup that won a million dollars but he made individual good plays right cmc great play delvin cook great play keenan great play uh lock ended up getting there judy got there etc etc but if we're looking at it from a construction standpoint in tournaments a process standpoint it's absolutely terrible there's minimal correlation and he ran into the pure nuts with seven one-offs six if you don't count the defense cmc was a one-off cook was a one-off keenan was a one-off mclaurin was a one-off Janu, gabe davis there's no correlation and you don't want to do that in tournaments you want your lineups to be correlated because you know if your lineups are correlated you have a better chance of winning the tournament your game stack or you know your secondary stack goes off you have the players that are most likely going to go off with that so i mean he just ran into the pier nuts so good for him shout out to this guy who won a million dollars today single bullet obviously not like a pro I would say just because like you mentioned with the whole flex, usually you want to keep your late guys in the flex or your high salary guys in the flex ended up playing, you know, 3,200 Gabe Davis in the flex, but shout out to him. He he's better than me. Won a million dollars. I haven't. So, (laughs) so shout out to shout out to him. I mean, big congrats. We're not trying to congratulations. You know, it will always give credit when these lineups are good. Last week, the Millie maker lineup was fire. And we gave credit to it. But this one, not so much. But I guess they don't have to be. Sometimes you just got to run pure. Let's move on to our final segment of the show. Interesting stats. And we can start off with a player who was key in winning that man a million dollars. And that was Christian McCaffrey. We talked about him at length on our Thursday preview show. And throughout the week, I think things got more and more confusing because it seemed like all right he's practicing in full every single day christian mccaffrey is going to be a stone lock we you know had been in you know long conversations about how we don't care about a player coming off of injury he's good and i thought that all the way up until sunday morning when i until i read a report that the plan coming out of carolina was to rotate between davis and mccaffrey you know they were going to give davis a series then mccaffrey a series because they have quote two talented running backs and they don't want to overwork them blah 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 okay Mike Davis finished with six touches. Christian McCaffrey finished with 28, 18 (laughs) attempts, caught 10 of 10 targets. Why was Matt Rule bullshitting us, Joey? It hurts me bad because I got off of him because of that report. And he absolutely snapped. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we talked about it on the preview pod and we wanted to be all over it. We were. It was just, you know, the, the salary was so tight this week. It just didn't allow for us to play CMC and Cook in the same cash lineup. And people were concerned that he was coming off a high ankle sprain. And we weren't. I mean, he was out for two months. Reports were he was fully healthy and ready to go. So I didn't really factor his, you know, high ankle sprain injury into that. I uh, didn't downgrade 
TMC because of that. And there was conflicting reports throughout the week. Early in the week, they said that he was going to resume his workhorse role. Then, like you said, the report comes out. They're going to rotate series. Come to find out, Mike Davis isn't you know a factor at all into cmc 8500 is probably the cheapest price we're gonna see on cmc for the rest of the season i would expect for him to go back to his usual 10,000 salary after this matchup and I mean, CMC is just God. He, he's everything you want in a fantasy running back. It's going to be hard to not play him from here on out, especially if he gets this volume on a weekly basis, which we know is very likely. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, sometimes players coming off of these injuries do struggle. Like for example, Alvin Kamara last year, you know, had a similar injury and it's not that he wasn't productive per se, but he just wasn't himself. McCaffrey looked like himself. He looked, you know, yeah. just as good as the 10 K running back that we plugged in without remorse every single week last year yeah i definitely agree with that and i was gonna bring that up with camara and saquon who both suffered ankle injuries and didn't look like their normal selves last year i don't think if i remember correctly either of them were out for two months i think they were out for three weeks or four weeks and then came back in their you know, ankle sprain wasn't 100%. The Panthers held out McCaffrey until he was good to go. 100% healed up. They probably were waiting for him to feel no pain in his ankle and see if he can make all the cuts, all the catches, etc. So I feel like that's the difference with the two situations is they didn't rush their star player back like the Saints did and the Giants did. They were cautious. They held him out for two months, which is a long time to not have your best player. But you know, it could pay off in the long run, especially if they want to make a playoff run. Yeah. And just to confirm what you said, Kamara did play in 14 games last year. So he only missed two. Barkley played in 13, mm-hmm. only missed three. So that is definitely a contributing factor and something I think that we can learn from and consider in the future when we're dealing with players coming off of injury. Obviously, the Panthers did things the right way with McCaffrey, and it's going to pay off for them. Moving on to another player, a phenomenal fantasy asset right now, Kyler Murray. I mean, he's just different. After today's performance of 106 rushing yards, Kyler is well on pace to rush for over 1,000 yards on the season, and it feels like he is coming pretty damn close to Lamar Jackson 2019 status in terms of his rushing if he's not already there. Yeah, I mean, I think he's there. Kyler Murray is the best fantasy quarterback right now. He's had multiple 40-point games in the past two or three games. He's just absolutely tearing it up in terms of fantasy, has immense rushing upside. And I just think that that rushing upside sets him apart from the rest of the pack, in my opinion. And for 2020 specifically, we're not seeing, you know, a quarterback run as much as Kyler is. So I think in terms of comparing Lamar of 2019 to Kyler 2020, I think they are damn near the same person. And Mm -hmm. you have to consider playing him every single week, no matter his price tag. Well, he was 7,800 this week, well above you know, somebody like Josh Allen, who was really popular at 7K. And I mean, after a performance like this, it'll be hard to imagine that Kyler won't be 8,000 plus next week, but against Buffalo. Floor, against Buffalo in a game that I'm sure will be, you know, projected to be a shootout might have the highest total on the slate. I haven't really looked at next week's slate yet, but I'm expecting it will be just when you hear those two offenses. And yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson last year, it was a groundbreaking season. And I don't want to be the type of analyst who's just like, oh, well, he's the new Lamar Jackson. But I mean, he's damn near there in terms of production. 
So we have to realize that. And in terms of fantasy, if he's pushing 8K, but his floor is well over, you know, 3X that in on a point per dollar sense, it doesn't matter what his salary is if his floor matches that, right? So I think mm-hmm. Kyler Murray is going to be in play regardless of price at pretty much every point in the season. He appears to be fully matchup proof with this. And the only downside, I think, with this, you know, emergence of Murray as a rusher is that it has made DeAndre Hopkins a little more inconsistent than maybe we had expected, or maybe it had appeared that he would be in the first few weeks of his time with Arizona. He only had three targets this week, caught all three of them. I know that Xavier Howard was shadowing him but Hopkins like DK Metcalf like the other elite wide receivers of the NFL is the type of player that I just don't sweat cornerback matchup with and it was a little disappointing to see Hopkins finish with only 30 yards on three targets yeah it was it was the Christian Kirk day today and uh, the Dolphins are actually tough against opposing wide receivers especially on the outside so I think that's why Kirk had a big day in the slot but like you said DeAndre Hopkins has been inconsistent and maybe that is due to Kyler Murray's uh, rushing ability and if Kyler Murray's first read or second read isn't there this man is taking off and you know I don't mind when he takes off because he literally gets to the edge and burns everybody i never expected him to be as fast as he is and he's just electric with the ball in his hands so i think when he runs it's it's a very positive play for the cardinals he he's their best rusher he really is. 100%. There was some other uh, impressive quarterback play in that same game on the other side of the ball to a tag of Vialoa. There were some reports, I forget if it was like Saturday or whenever it came out, but you know, that the Dolphins might be willing to move on from Tua after one year. Like they're evaluating him for a potential Kyler Murray situation, you know, where they had already drafted Josh Rosen, but you know, Kyler was too good to pass up. Maybe the Dolphins are thinking, oh, Tua's, you know, whatever, maybe we could get Fields or or Lawrence. I, I think that that is major cap, Joey. I think two is the real deal. Yeah, I never believed those reports to begin with. I saw the the same uh, reports that you saw. And unless they secured the number one overall pick, which they won't because they're not as bad as the Jets, they were never going to draft another QB. Tua looked good today. I think he's really accurate. He's mobile. As we saw, he had 40 plus rushing yards in this matchup. So he has some rushing ability. And I think he has everything you want in a franchise quarterback. This man is just a winner, and I think his future is bright in Miami. Yeah, those reports were bogus. Uh, They're not drafting a quarterback in 2021. Absolutely no shot, especially if Tua keeps on winning them games. He's 2-0. He's a certified winner. Is there any shot that rookie of the year is still up for grabs? It seemed like it was a lock. I think at first it looked like, all right, Joe Burrow, he's producing. He's on track to, you know, re-break Andrew Luck's passing record, which if he does, I think will be a lock for him. That stat alone would make him rookie of the year. But Justin Herbert has captured the eye of, you know, football Twitter of the football cognoscenti. They love Justin Herbert, even though he can't really win a game to save his life. And then Tua now 2-0 and undefeated on a Dolphins team with a legit defense and some decent pass catching weapons. I'm not sure that this race for rookie of the year is, you know, set in stone yet. Yeah, I don't think it is set in stone either. I just think it'll be hard for Tua to win because, you know, he's obviously down seven to eight games 
as Herber and Burrow have started basically since the season started. So an eight game head start is hard to come back from uh, for Tua. So it's either Burrow or Herbert in terms of offensive rookie of the year. And I think I would give it to Burrow right now. I think he's the best quarterback in this class by far. Herbert has been amazing. But like you said, they haven't been winning. Uh, neither has Burrow. But if Burrow breaks records in his rookie year, He's definitely going to get it, but it's going to be a very close and fun race to watch the rest of the season. The only thing I'll say right now, Tua is plus 2,000 (laughs) to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he is the only one of these three quarterbacks, and it usually is a quarterback. There's not going to be a running back who, who could take it this year. So chances are it'll be one of these three guys. I think that the Dolphins are the only team that have an off- you know, an extreme long shot, but still a shot to make the playoffs. I don't think it's a long shot. Division. Their defense is legit and they could get there. So Tua takes them into the playoffs. I think that that's would, you know, equal out mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever, six or seven games. You know, Justin Herbert is impressive, but if he's on like a, a three win team and Tua's leading his team to the playoffs and Burrow has the stats, but he's on a, a you know, a terrible Cincinnati team. I don't know. Plus 2000 isn't that bad when you when you paint it like that. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see it from that angle. It's just how much do the voters factor in to winning? And I I know in some other sports that it's factored in a lot and it is in the NFL, but with offensive rookie of the year, I think it's more stat based than than wins, but if Tua were to like win the Super Bowl then <laughs> then you got to give it to <laughs> then you got to give it to him. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I mean there is another young quarterback who's emerging. I feel like we have to at least talk about this for a second. Who? You know, maybe not quite on the same level of Tua, Herbert and Burrow, but my boy Jake Lutton. I mean, you got to give wait, some wait, respect wait. to this man. Wait, he's your boy, but you can't even pronounce his last name right. Lutton? It's Luton. Luton. Jake Luton. It's not Lutton. I thought it was Luton. That, that's your that's your boy. That ain't your boy. You can't even pronounce his last name right. Talking about that's your nah. boy. That That's not your boy. That's an acquaintance. That's how close friends say his name. Oh, heard. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you're you're just, you just, you uh, not him from afar. <laughs> I'm not in that circle. That, that's yeah, why. Nah, okay. My son, I mean, he, he came in his first game, sixth round rookie out of Oregon. You know, nobody's expecting this kid to be anything. Couldn't even beat Gardner Minshew out for the starting role. What does he do? Throws 304 yards and a touchdown. Rushes for another touchdown. Swear to God, Joey, I felt like Trump at 1.04 p.m. today when (laughs) I was winning $18,000 off that Jake Lutton, DJ Chark touchdown. I'm thinking, you know, stop the PMR. (laughs) We're good. I know you got it in before lock, but it doesn't count. I need this 18K. Just let it ride. We're good. (laughs) That's what vibe I was on at 1.04 p.m. Four minutes into the main slate today. Yeah, and shout out to DJ Chark. We made an off-the-pod bet of DJ Chark and Deontay Johnson fantasy points. You easily won that. So took Mm -hmm. took my $20 swiftly. And I think we could see DJ Chark have some fantasy relevance again with Jake Luton. Jake Luton has a very strong arm as you 
you know, mentioned several times over the course of the last five days. Heard that nonstop, his 85th percentile uh, throw power, throw velocity. Um, Boy, got a cannon. You were hyping him up in the DFS chat for several days. Didn't play him in cash, though, because, you know, you just you just don't have faith in your boy. Uh-huh. But back to Chark, I think I think he does give Chark a, a fantasy boost. See, opportunity was never the question with Chark. It was, can his quarterback get him the ball? And Luton did that today. He wasn't spectacular, but we weren't expecting him to be. And if we're looking at it from a rest of the season outlook, if he keeps the starting job, I think DJ Chark's fantasy outlook got a major boost today if they can connect on deep balls like they did uh early in the game today yeah and listen so i this is my my legit analysis about dj chark i don't know if i want to call him a league winner but i will call him a playoff securer Mm. you know that, that that's a new term because over his next you know five or so matchups Green Bay, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns, Minnesota Vikings, Tennessee Titans. That takes you up to week 14. He has a couple tough matchups in the playoffs against the Ravens and the Bears. But I mean, if you're plugging him in and he can have a second half resurgence and you get basically five favorable matchups in a row, I mean, he'll take you there. And your points are correct. Gardner Minshew was averaging 6.9 yards per attempt on the season. Luton comes in. His first week averages eight yards per attempt. He's throwing the ball downfield. LaVisca Chenault leaves the game with an injury. We don't know how serious that is, but if, you know, they're down one of their main wide receivers, it'll be down to Chark, Keelan Cole, and Chris Conley. Cole and Conley are just bonafide scrubs. And DJ Chark, you know, was a guy who we were taking high in best ball, high in redraft, had a slow start, and I'm willing to blame that on Minshew and think that if Luton is anything, if his arm is what it showed to be today then Chark could really lead you guys to the playoffs in terms of redraft leagues for sure. Oh, there you have it. Go and, go and uh, trade for DJ Chark if you don't have him in your redraft leagues. I know the trade deadline is approaching in redraft leagues, so go, go and get him. Let's talk about some more wide receivers, specifically the wide receivers on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. Now, we've talked about this week after week. I'm done making claims. I'm done trying to guess. The fact of the matter is that I don't think that the Pittsburgh Steelers have a wide receiver one. I think they have three wide receivers too. Maybe they're high-end wide receiver twos. I'm not sure, but it's completely unpredictable in my opinion. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster was leading in targets over the last two weeks coming into this game and then finishes last in targets today. Deontay Johnson gets 10 plus targets in every single game he's healthy, but when is he going to be healthy? Chase Claypool has the most targets this week, 13, but he didn't do much with them. I think all of them are unpredictable, non-cash viable plays that you can look at in GPPs if the spot is right, but the range of outcomes for each of them is just too wide to consider in cash, uh, I think, for the duration of 2020 until something changes. That's how I'm looking at it. Okay, that that's a very fair analysis. Um, I don't know if I would exclude them from my cash pool weekly just because they have a wide range of outcomes. I think that we know uh, what we're going to get with these wide receivers on a weekly basis. And, you know, if we get Deontay Johnson in a spot where, you know, he's 5K and he sees 10 plus targets and he's healthy, I think he is very cash viable. Like you said, the range of outcomes are very wide, but if the opportunity is there, especially with Deontay Johnson, that's my son. If he's healthy 
and he is the cheapest on a weekly basis. I think that he is going to be in cash consideration every week, but it's going to be hard to play any of these wide receivers because you just don't know where it's going to go on a weekly basis. So I could see excluding them, but I personally wouldn't. And it's just a mess, honestly. Steelers wide receiver room is a hard one to get down. We we've tried to do it every single week, and every other week we just look like fools. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I just I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with these guys. I'm at a complete loss. I I keep getting feels for them. You know, I I keep trying to plug in Juju, keep trying to make that a thing, and just losing money week after week because I liked him two years ago. Got to stop that. I don't trust Deontay Claypool. Seems like the real deal, but who knows? With both Juju and Deontay getting significant targets. I'm done. I'm done with it. <laughs> when in doubt, just don't play any of them, and then you'll never have to stress about it. I, I, I like that process. Yep. So you won't see them in the cash pool going forward. Let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I saw some interesting stats looking through their stats from the week. Tyree Kill. 18 targets. That was the second most of his career. Just absolutely insane. Went nine for 113 and two. Kind of a modest output, even though that is a monster game. But when you consider Tyree Kill getting 18 targets, I mean, you think slate breaking. And that was great, but it didn't break the slate. He wasn't in the Millie making lineup, etc. Kelsey also had a phenomenal game. 12 targets. Turned that into 10 catches for 159 yards. Just incredible stat lines from incredible players. But the reason I bring it up and, you know, I guess I've been looking at the sports book lately because I'm going to bring this up again. But, you know, you look at the MVP odds. Russell Wilson has been widely considered, you know, the favorite for weeks on weeks. I've been hearing about how Russell Wilson doesn't have any MVP votes up to this point in his career since week one, it feels like. Mahomes right now is plus 300 on some books to win MVP right now. I think that is pretty good odds for the best player in the NFL, plus 300, do you think that he could make a late push with the way that he's playing right now? Yeah, I definitely think that he could easily make a late push, and that is a great bet, especially if you can get him around plus 300 or even better if you shop around different sports books. And I mean, Patrick Mahomes uh, has more passing yards than Russell Wilson. He has played in one more game, so maybe that's a factor why, but he's only a couple touchdowns behind in terms of the passing touchdowns department and he's thrown five less interceptions so I think when it's all said and done at the end of the year it'll be really 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 close and depending on how the teams themselves do for the rest of the season could definitely play a part in the MVP voting especially if the Chiefs go like say let's say 15 and 1 and the Seahawks go like 12 and 4 I think that could definitely play a part and if Mahomes matches Russ I I think he has a very good shot of winning MVP. I just also want to throw out that the media is kind of pushing the MVP narrative towards Russ. So I think this is a Russ year just due to that reason. Although when it's said and done, I think Mahomes will have better stats and will be more deserving. I mean, he's the best quarterback in the league by miles. I know some people like really believe that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback and there's a good argument for it. But this dude, Patrick Mahomes, is he? He's a game changer, and it's just that simple. Generational talent at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it sounds insulting to be like, "No shot, Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the league." But no shot, Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the league. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. He's the best player in the NFL right now. I think that that is 
you know, it should be common knowledge, I feel like. Yeah, Pad. I mean, this dude is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I hate when the Patriots have to face him. It's just a nightmare. How can one player be that good? And how can you get plus 300 on him? That's that's what I want to know. <laughs> so uh, definitely going to be making, you know, a long drive to the casino to put that in <laughs> since, you know, no mobile betting in New York. Still. Shout out to new york yeah still years later get with it new york but mahomes plus 300 book it now the final subject of conversation today you know i was looking through the interesting stats of the week seeing what we could talk about i saw that jd mckissick had 14 targets today i thought oh that's that's pretty interesting but you know how it's not really impactful right but what it made me think about was the fact that i was really high on antonio gibson coming into the week coming out of the bye i thought maybe washington would commit to antonio gibson alas no jd mckissick is the guy then i thought about some other situations around the league it made me think about how jonathan taylor last week i had the same thought process let me play jonathan taylor in dfs (laughs) well then he gets out touched by jordan wilkins and by Naheem Hines, which made me think about how I had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ranked as my fifth highest-ranked player in best ball in season-long, ahead of Dalvin Cook, no less. You know, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you can't. You know, the Chiefs don't trust him. They brought in Le'Veon Bell, Jonathan Taylor can't separate from legitimate bona fide scrubs, Jordan Wilkins and Naheem <laughs> Hines, DeAndre Swift. This dude can't be Adrian Peterson, 46-year-old Adrian Peterson out for touches. J.K. Dobbins, nothing to write home about. Gibson, getting out targeted by J.D. McKissick. Cam Akers, playing behind Malcolm Brown. Is it time to call it, Joey, with this running back class? Is it a wash? Is this a bust of a class for the 2020 running backs? I think it's a bust for the season. I don't think these players uh, are bust in terms of, you know, dynasty value. I think uh, all of those running backs still have enormous value in dynasty formats. In redrafts, though, they are 100% bust, especially CEH. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is teetering on, you know, my scale of being one of the biggest busts in 2020 so far just due to his ADP of pick 105 or 106 depending on what site you look at I was never drafting him that high so that take ended up working out in my favor was never on Jonathan Taylor in the third round you know you can go back on our YouTube videos and see the Antonio Gibson clip where people were legitimately destroying us and telling us that we shouldn't be podcasting and that we're just absolutely terrible and we don't know what we're talking about when i said that i wasn't drafting antonio gibson cam Akers, i know we made a bet cam Akers, ceh both of them you know don't really have roles on their team right now so this class has been terrible i think covid definitely impacted the running backs integration into their offenses obviously with no otas no mini camps no time to prep only had about 10 practices before the season started which i think hurt all of them um and i would say it's easier for a rookie wide receiver to produce than a rookie running back especially when you have to learn the pass protection schemes and then obviously learn all of the running schemes as well in those specific offenses but i also think the coaches play a part too a lot of the running backs on these teams their coaches are are certified donkeys so I think it goes hand in hand. Everyone debated in, you know, Dynasty all offseason, CEH or Jonathan Taylor 101 when the real answer was James Robinson all along. <laughs> Who would have thunk? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the real answer was neither of them. Just uh, Joe Burrow or Jerry Judy was was the right answer, but nah. I mean, the, these running backs have just been trash, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a bust. JT is a bust. DeAndre Swift isn't doing anything. J.K. Dobbins is, is nothing right now. Cam Akers can't even touch the field. It's a truly a tough scene. I guess we'll have to check back on them this offseason and see how many of them are able to keep their jobs. But that's going to be it for us on episode 104 of the DFS Dose podcast. Before we get out of here, Joey, you know, you mentioned to me some interesting Millie Maker strategies that you were going to be employing on the Monday night slate. Do you want to let the people know what you've got going on for <laughs> Monday night? I think it's a pretty solid idea. Yeah, so Monday, today, if you're listening to this an hour in, probably not, maybe, who knows. Today's is my birthday, right? And DraftKings is running a million-dollar contest for the showdown slate, Patriots and New York Jets. The Patriots are my favorite team. So, you know, that's the start of the story of the script. of what's meant to be and then obviously Edelman out on IR Nikhil Harry out with a concussion Jacoby Myers Patriots wide receiver one you know when his birthday is today as well November 9th we have the same birthday oh my god he's going in the captain spot we share the same birthday (laughs) and he's winning me a million dollars the story could not be written any better for this Monday it literally can't be written it's written in the stars I just have to execute it and make sure it happens. I have complete faith in this narrative. This seems like, you know, just a lock for you. And I'm just going to be really happy to be friends with a millionaire in about mm, T minus 24 hours. <laughs> it's going to be stupid lit. <laughs> Hell yeah. Looking forward to it. And yeah, guys, we will be back as we always are on Thursday to preview the week 10 NFL slate. Like Joey said, at the top of the show, you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. YouTube subscribers are growing each and every day. Become one of them if you're not already. And yeah, guys, follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS if, if you want to give me a happy birthday shout out. Yeah, shout out my boy on Twitter one time. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys <laughs> next week.